So let's begin by going back to that very first moment where the restoration began. I'm going to suggest that things have not changed. And the answer then is the answer today. You know this document, but pretend you didn't. Let's pretend you didn't know what I was reading from. Now you know all exactly where I'm going, but just pretend for a moment that you've never seen this document. And you, as we read it, I think you'll be shocked at how modern it is, how much he's describing our day. Here's a young man struggling to find answers and says of the environment in which he lives, sometime after our move, there was in the place where we lived an unusual excitement on moral issues like abortion, and race, and equality. It commenced with this group. It affected the whole country. It seemed everyone was affected by it, and great multitudes united themselves to the different religious parties, which created, listen to what this young man described his day, no small stir and division among the people. Would you say that's your day? In fact, he's probably describing more your day than his day, isn't he? Would you say you live in a day with no small stir and division among the people? And everyone's saying, hey, here's the right thing to do over here. And people are saying, no, the right thing is over here. He says, notwithstanding the great, now, let me paraphrase, notwithstanding the great love which the converts to these different ideologies expressed at the time of their conversion and the great zeal manifested by their respective clergy who were active in getting up and promoting this extraordinary scene of religious excitement. Would you agree you live in that day where there are those who are promoting an extraordinary scene of religious excitement in order to have everybody converted as they were pleased to call it. Let them join whatever group or idea they pleased. Yet when some converts began to file off, some to one party and some to another, it was seen that the seemingly good feelings of both the priest and the converts were more pretended than real for a scene of great confusion and bad feeling ensued. That's our day. You join a group and you decide the group's not for you and you walk away, what does the group do to you? If you were to join a political party and go to all the extremes, and then all of a sudden, you know what? This extreme is not for me. I'm going to soften my views. What does that side do to you? There was a day where the left beat up the right. That still is today, but who does the left beat up now? The left that doesn't see all the way they see it. And who does the right beat up? The right. This is exactly what's happening. Now, I wonder if any of you, even in your adult years, have asked these questions. Watch watch the question he's beginning to ask. He's noticing he lives in a strife of words and a contest about opinions. 
If I were to say words like abortion and LGBTQ rights, would you say you live in a strife of words in a contest about opinions? Anyone brave enough to post your opinion, uh, opinion online? Why was, Abby? Why was? I was, but now I don't because... There's so much hatred thrown at you for just having an opinion. You live in a strife of words in a contest about opinions. During this time of great excitement, Joseph asked, what do I do? So great were the confusion and strife among the different denominations that it was impossible for a person young as I was and so unacquainted with men and things to come to any certain conclusion who was right and who was wrong. Would you agree? How about with matters of church history? They're being thrown at you. People are saying, you shouldn't be a Mormon because Joseph Smith did this. And you say what? Did he? Didn't he? Are you lying? Are they lying? Who's lying? Would you agree, agree that what we claim of Joseph Smith and what the critics claim of Joseph Smith can't both be true? And so who's lying? Is the church lying? Is the church hiding? I don't know. I'm too young. I don't know the history. I don't know what to do. You ever felt that way? Joseph asks. Well, let's read this one. I like this one. The cry and tumult were so great and incessant, the Presbyterians or whatever group were most decided against that group. Would you agree that this group is most decided against that group and this group is most decided against that group? And they used all the powers of both reason and sophistry to prove their errors, or at least to make people think they were in error. That is describing 2023, not so much 1820. And on the other hand, the Baptists and the Methodists in turn were equally zealous in endeavoring to establish their own tenets and disprove all others. In the midst of all of this when I was so young, in the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, what do I do? Who is right and who is wrong? Is it the church that's wrong? And the critics have discovered some error that I didn't know existed? Who's right? And who's wrong? If anyone is right, which one is it? And how shall I know? Now you tell me, what was the answer in that circumstance? What was the answer to this young boy? Tell me what was the answer? In a war of words and a war of words and tumult of opinion, what was the answer? Find him. So I love this. As soon as the light rested upon me, I saw two personages who brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling be my name. This restoration began 
with the one word. The beginning of the restoration was Joseph. And what did that one word mean to you in 2023? What did that one word mean? He knows who I am. He knows what I struggle with. He knows what keeps me up at night. He knows what I desire. He knows who I am. He knows what I yearn for. He knows where I'm broken. And he wants to help me. And the answer is, find my beloved son and hear him. Let me say it both ways. And you tell me what both instructions would say to you. Find my beloved son and hear him. Or what if he said, find my beloved son and hear him? What would both of those mean? Tell me what it means to you to hear the father say in a tumult of a war of words and tumult of opinions, find Jesus and hear him. That means we ought to spend a whole lot of time talking about how to hear him, how to better hear him. But what if I emphasize the other word? What if Heavenly Father is saying to you right now, find Jesus and hear him? How would you take that? Abby? He knows, he knows the right way. There are lots of other voices. But first and foremost, hear whose? His. You need to find where, Jesus, where, where God the Father is pointing today. Now, it's easy when Jesus is standing next to you and you can say, there he is right there. Wouldn't it be great if he just walked down the hall and said, there he went. And we all run out and we chase after him. I can't do that. Oh, how I wish I could. So where is Heavenly Father pointing in your life today? Where is he saying, here's where you'll find him? Here is where he is. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Learn to hear him. We will spend the next several weeks talking about how does he speak? How does he speak to your mind? How does he speak to your heart? I want to tear through the scriptures and give you as many ways that God speaks to you as I can possibly point out in the scriptures and blow your mind that he speaks far more often than you realize he does. I believe with all my soul, you are hearing him far more than you realize you're hearing him. He is speaking to you constantly. And the more you begin to recognize how he's speaking and in what manner he's speaking, the more you're going to invite more revelation. So let's hear him. But before we end today, let me tackle that second one. Let's hear him. I think the Book of Mormon begins with a very powerful warning about our day. Turn with me to the Tree of Life. First Nephi chapter 8, eight chapters into the Book of Mormon. Let's go to the Tree of Life. 
Now, I tried to change the colors last semester. It was really hard. Let me, you tell me if my colors are better this year. Okay, 1 Nephi chapter 8. Father Lehi sees a dream, has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a tree. And what's the whole purpose of the tree? The whole purpose of the tree is to make you happy. The, the most powerful being in the universe wants to make you happy. That's the tree. Now, if you count the number of times Lehi says, I saw a group of people. Let me just point them out, okay? I saw numberless concourses of people. There's one, right? He saw a group of people. And then... It came to pass that I beheld others. That's two. Then he saw other multitudes. That's three, right? And then he also saw others. How many groups of people did Lehi see? Four. Four groups of people. I want to point out their relationship to the tree that will make you happy. Now, before we do this, let me just be careful. I don't think this is intended to be a tool of judgment to bang anyone over the head. I don't think anyone is a two or you're a three. I've had this discussion. I've had people walk away saying, oh my gosh, I'm a two. And I don't want that to happen. I want you to walk away saying there are two time periods in my life. There are two attitudes and three attitudes. And I want to have a one attitude. I want to grow into a one type of a person. So don't beat yourself up over this. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep track. And we're going to ask this question for everyone. So group number one, two. Actually, you know what? I want to do it this way. I'm going to move this up a little bit. I want to start at the bottom and do group number four, and then group number three, group number two, and group number one. And the first question we're going to ask is, do they commence in the path? The path that leads to the tree. Do they grab the rod? Do they make it? To the tree and do they stay? Are they in the path? Do they grab the tree or do they grab the rod? Do they make it to the tree and do they stay? Okay, so what can you get? What would you guess about the fours? You don't even, we're not, you, before we even read it, we're going to start with the lowest group that is not even in the path. They, ne they don't grab the rod, they never make it to the tree, and they don't stay. Now, none of us are fours. The fact that you're here in Institute, pretty, pretty safe to say none of us are fours. So let's just read about the fours, okay? The fours are verses 40, 31 and 32. 
Now, read through that and tell me, describe the force. Again, no judgment, we're not pointing fingers, but give me a four-type attitude. What kind of attitudes are fours? Tell me what you see. Abby, what do you see? Um, they see sin and they see the benefits. Okay, so they're going straight to building. the building. They're going straight to the building. Their motive is to get into the building. What else do you see? Isn't that interesting? Now, curiosity is good, right? How is their curiosity not necessarily a good thing? We're probably going to answer that better as we go. But let me just point out, how are they going to the building? They're feeling their way, which means what? Why are you feeling weird? So a couple would, number one, they're driven by probably a carnal appetite. That's an interesting perspective, right? And feeling their way towards the building. How else? What does it mean? To, why would you feel your way towards something? You can't see. They're blind. They are blind. And they're blindly going to the imitation happiness. Now, I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to point out a word that's going to come up in three of these. What's the end result of being a four? Lost. They're lost. They have no direction. Okay, now let's get to the threes. Let's go back to the previous page. The threes start in verse 21. Now these are green. I labeled these different colors so we can see them easier. Here are the threes and they're green. They're starting in verse 21. So let's just read through it quickly. I saw numberless concourses of people, many of whom were pressing forward. They're pressing forward. Now, Two, threes, fours, and fives will all say that. Notice that's a common thing that they all have. Threes, <coughs> twos, and ones. I think that's a significant distinction from the fours. The threes, the twos, and the ones are trying. They're pressing forward. So everyone is going to do something good that the previous group didn't do. And we ought to celebrate that goodness. The threes are pressing forward. Now, what phrase gets repeated several times in describing them? They might obtain the path. They commence in the path. Um, they law uh, in so much that they who had commenced in the path. So what's the major characteristic of the threes? They're in the path. Now that kind of, you need a little Nephi. Does that ring a bell with Nephi? Nephi talks about opening a gate and getting on a path, right? What's the gate that you open and get on the path? How do you commence in the path? Baptism and repentance. So who are the threes? And I think we can even be broad and not just limit it to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think we can be pretty broad. The threes are those who join religion. They seek Christ. They go to church. 
Now, here's the painful question I want to ask. Is going to church enough today? Would you all, are you all shaking your head? The, the, the fascinating thing about the threes is how does this whole story end? How does the story about the threes end? What's the last word describing the threes? They're lost. Now, notice this is going to be different between the threes and the twos. The threes wander off and are lost. Now, why would they wander? What would prevent you from wandering? Having something to hold on to, right? So I think we could say that the threes commence in the path. But what word was never mentioned in their description? It didn't say one time what word? Rod. Do the threes make it to the tree? No. So clearly they don't stay at the tree, right? James. So I think like the wandered off thing just almost means that they didn't have a purpose. Yeah. And they also didn't check their bearings because I think there's a lot of people that I've seen that it's just that they're just floating through church, but they are checking their bearings and they begin to drift and they don't know it. That, and they leave. that is a powerful description of the threes. Have you all observed that? People in the church, they, they, they want to do good. They're in the path but they don't have the rod in their life. And absent a rod, what often happens to them? They wander and are lost. Where, where are they vulnerable? Tell me what the threes are vulnerable to. What's their big vulnerability here? The mist. Blind and hardened. So the good thing is they commence in the path. But what's the not so good thing? There's no connection between path and rod. Now, allow me to just kind of get in your face a little bit. Is there a connection between your path and the rod? Is your path connected to a rod. Now, the rod isn't always the scriptures. The rod is personal revelation, temple. There's lots of things the rod can be, right? But tree, or sorry, path without rod leads to wandering and lost. So let's look at the twos. Again, the twos are going to do something very good that the threes don't do, but something that the four, the, something that the ones do and they won't. So let's see if we can focus on the twos. It came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod. So already we can see one thing that makes the twos different than the threes, right? Where would you say this pressing forward and came forth was? Path, right? So I think we can say that the twos are clearly on the path. They're pressing forward. They're coming forth. But the difference is their path led to a rod. And because they have a rod, notice this starred sentence, because they have a rod, what's going to happen to them? 
they will press forward through the mist of darkness. Remember how the, the threes were vulnerable? But now that I have a rod, I can press forward through the mist of darkness. Do you have a rod in your life when the darkness comes? Because I promise you, you live in a day in a, you did live in a world where darkness is coming. It'll be thrown at you by other people. It'll be presented by life. If you have a rod, then you can press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod. Now, what's the next word that we see? Rod, tree. Is it a coincidence that when rod is yes, tree is yes? I would just love you to just ponder that. When rod is no, what's tree? When rod is yes, tree is yes. I think that message is significant. Even when path is yes, if rod is no, tree is no. If rod is yes, tree is yes. But here's the problem with the twos. As soon as they partake, notice it says that twice, after they had partaken, they have partaken of the tree. It's going to say that twice. After they had tasted, after they had partaken and after they had tasted, they became ashamed. Why did they became ashamed after they partook of the fruit? Now, allow me to emphasize this. After they had partaken of the fruit, they did cast their eyes about. Meaning, tell me what they're doing. They're looking. Hey, this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to live my life this way. This is how I want to live my life. Will you validate me? Will you tell me that I'm right and confirm it? They're looking at the wrong place. This is my beloved son. Hear him, not them. Every one of us knows a two that looked at what the world was saying and felt ashamed. The Book of Mormon is going to present this idea of what the anti, there's a whole bunch of book antichrist in the Book of Mormon, right? And one element that all the anti, antichrists have in common is they all use the F word. Every antichrist in the Book of Mormon uses the F word. That if you are, if you're a believer, if you believe in Christ, you are a fool. Korahor will say that word many times. Now think about all the anti-Mormons and all the anti-Christs of today. What are they saying? If you believe, you are a fool. And anyone who looks at them is going to feel and be, there it is. 
If you are looking at them, if you are taking your bearings from the world, you will not wander away. See the difference? Let me remind you, the threes wandered off. The twos fall away. It's a big difference there, isn't it? The twos feel ashamed. I feel foolish. I feel restricted. I'm ashamed. And so they fall away and are lost. Now, you've lived to see this fulfilled. How many times in your life? And Joseph Smith was 23 years old when he wrote this. I think that is so significant that this group falls away because they hear them. And some of them are wonderful, bright people that they love. But what was the command? Tell me what the can man was. This is my beloved son. Hear him. But the moment you start looking, the moment you cast your eyes about, the world is going to come in and say, they're going to use the F word. You are a fool. And you're going to feel ashamed. And you're going to fall away. Now let's take a look at, so, so what's the last one? Stay? No. They, they don't stay. These people wander away and these people fall away. Now, well, what's the vulnerability of the twos? Tell me where they're vulnerable. Blindness was the blinders for the threes. What's the, what's the vulnerability for the twos? Others. The cry of others. What they're saying. And they're going to make me feel foolish. All right, let's get to the ones. Unfortunately, it straddles a page, and so this makes it a little difficult because I really want to focus on the ones, but I can't. So here's what's on the second page, that they continually held fast and fell down. I, I want to come back to that, but let's get here. Here are the ones. Behold, to be short in writing, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward, and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod. So clearly path, I think we can say yes, rod, yes. They grabbed the rod of iron and they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the iron rod until they came down, they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. They make it to the tree. Again, is it a coincidence that if this is no, this is no, and when this is yes, this is yes? There's a sermon there. But tell me about the ones. Tell me about a one attitude here. Tell me why they fall down. 
When they get to the tree, they fall down. Ironically, it's a twist on the word. Instead of falling away, they fall down. Why do they fall down? Why do they fall down? They're They're worshiping. I think that's a play on... Now, remember how this is Lehi's dream... That leads to Nephi having a dream. And the Lord tells Nephi that who else is going to have that same vision? John, the revelator, is going to have that same vision. But but he's going to write it and Nephi's not going to write it. So drawing on John, turn to Revelation chapter 4. Let me show you that, that that same idea of falling down. So this is Lehi's virgin version, which is going to lead to Lehi's Nephi's, which is the same as John's, but John wrote it instead of Nephi. So turn to Revelation, or the New Testament, Revelation, chapter 4. It describes 24 priests, high priests, that go into heaven. And tell me what they do at the very end, starting in verse 10. Revelation 4.10. They fall down. See, I think there's a connection there. The ones fall down when they get to the tree. The, four, the, the 24 elders fall down when they get into the presence of the Father. Now tell me why they fall down. They fall down before him, worship him, and cast their crowns before the throne. Tell me what they're acknowledging. What would you acknowledge if you were to walk into the celestial kingdom? Would you be all proudful and boastful and look at me, look at the great accomplishment I made? No, celestial people are taking the crown and throwing it to him as an act of, I am here because of you, Lord. I acknowledge that. They are falling down in awe and worship of the master. So tell me about the ones. Now, can I, can I be so, am I oversimplifying that they heard him? They knew him. In the tumult of opinions, in the war of words, they heard him and not them. And when they get to his presence, do they know him? And they fall down. I would suggest that is the pattern of finding answers in the confusing day in which you live. When so many people think they've figured it out and they know exactly what you should do with your life. How many people are trying to tell you what to do with your life and what the right thing to do and the right thing to believe? Find him. Get on a path that allows you to hold on to him. And when everyone yells and screams as loudly as they're going to, you, what was Nephi's words? Let me point out Nephi's words. 
What do you do when the world yells and screams? Because they're going to, right? When you find a path, they're going to yell at you. It might be mom. It might be dad. It might be best friends. They're going to yell at you. Now, what made the ones ones? We heeded them not. We heeded them. Almost done. We'll start the next class in 10 minutes. Do you see the answer to the day in which you live? Hear him. Hear, let me say it that way. Hear him and hear him. I bear you my testimony that every single one of you can find him. Can I testify that Jesus plays hide and seek like a child? Have you ever played hide and go seek with a child? What's the whole point of the game for a child? They want to be found. So where do they hide? In plain sight. And as soon as you get close, what do they do? They start to giggle. And then as soon as you get really close, what do they do? I'm here, right here. I want to be found. Jesus plays hide and go seek like a child. As soon as you get close, he pops out and says, here I am. I bear you my testimony that if your life will be committed to being a one, having a rod, getting on a path, having a rod in your life, heeding not what they say, but hearing him. And when you get to him, falling down and worshiping him, you will end your life. Is anyone going back to the first vision? Anyone know what he anyone know what Joseph Smith said when he went home? The two statements out of Joseph Smith's mouth after the first vision. What did he say first? Never mind. I am well never mind. <laughs> All is well. Now, could you make an argument that all was not well for young 14-year-old Joseph? And yet, did it matter? Because of what he just saw in that grove of trees, because of what he now knew, what can he say? With everything that's about to happen in his life, what can he say? All is well. If you will find and hear him, it is my witness to you that no matter what else happens, you can say, all is well. Because, what's the second thing he said? I have learned for myself. Thank you for telling me how to live my life, but I have learned for myself. I have heard him. Will you allow me to testify? I have heard him. I know he lives. And I know he's hiding in very obvious places for you to find him. 
But sometimes what do we do when we play hide and go seek with a child? We're annoyed. We hate the game. So what do we sometimes do? We don't look. Hoping they'll get tired and run away. What a shame to stop looking for him because so many people are angry. Hear him and all will be well. And when the whole world tries to tell you how to live your life, you can say, I have learned for myself. I am here because I have learned for myself. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.